Blog Talk Radio. Los Angeles, California, it's Music Friday Live, brought to you by World Arts, a global platform for musicians, fans, and the music industry. And by MySanFelipeVacation.com, your source for a great getaway on the Sea of Cortez. I'm your host, Patrick O'Heffernan. This is your show. These, audi- these artists are here to talk with you, so call in. 347-215-7511 or email your questions and your comments to musicfridaylive at gmail.com. I want to say welcome to our listeners on the cyberstationusa.com network and their radio affiliates who will be hearing us later tonight and also to those of you listening to us on Stitcher or iTunes or on the Artist Echoes Network in London. Yes, we are heard in London. If you are listening live and have questions or comments for our guests, call us at 347-215-7511. If you aren't listening live, if you're listening to a podcast or listening to us on the overnights in one of the other stations or in London, email us, musicfridaylive at gmail.com, and we'll forward your questions and comments on to our artists and our guests. Well, right now, we're going to play for you an interview we had with Blake Morgan last week. So it's not live, so you can't call in on it, but you can send emails. Blake just took off for his tour of England. So like I say, he couldn't be live with us. But with the magic of radio and audio files, here he is. This is Blake Morgan. Blog Talk Radio. Native New Yorker Blake Morgan is a recording artist, he's a record producer, and he's an activist for the principle that musicians must be paid. And he lives that principle as the founder and owner of ECR Music Group, a global music company and record label that gives all of its artists and labels 100% ownership of their master recordings. The label has since flourished with Morgan's own idealism at its core, and it's become a globally distributed family of artists and labels. Plus, his own music career has flourished. His own two-year-long sold-out artist-in-residence concert series at New York City's Rockwood Music Hall continues with, the, with season three. He's also performed at over 100 concerts across 50,000 miles of touring on both sides of the Atlantic, including solo tours of Germany and the United Kingdom, and three U.S. West Coast tours, one of which I was fortunate enough to attend recently. Blake is now getting ready for his second major tour of England in a year. Blake, welcome back to Music Friday Live. You had quite a year, and it's not over yet. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's fantastic to be here. So great to be back with you. Yeah. You're going to England. So when do you leave and where are you going? Yeah, I leave uh, just after Thanksgiving. Uh, the tour begins December 3rd, in fact, in Brighton. Um, and I'm going to some places. Uh, you mentioned this is my second tour of, of the U.K. Uh, in a year. That, that's true. I'm going to some places I, I didn't get to go last time. And I'm also going back to some places I I was on the last trip, so I'm going to Brighton and Manchester and Bristol for the first time, and mm. I'll also be returning to London and Birmingham in the middle of the tour. Ooh, well, Brighton's a lot of fun, too, even, well, not so much in the winter, but... Uh, <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, this is going to be great. Um, uh, a friend of mine who's been a guest, in fact, at my residency here in New York that you mentioned, 
uh, Julia Haltigan, who's a phenomenal artist and singer. She's going to be opening up for me on this tour. So uh, I'm excited about that, and I think we're going to play a couple songs in each other's set as well. And then there's a, an English artist, Charlotte Carpenter, who is also going to be opening up for me. So it's going to be a really great uh, night of music everywhere we go. Uh, you know, I noticed that that Julia was was on your uh, your bill, and I just how did you two get together? How how did that happen? I got introduced to her through my booking agent, um, and we were thinking of guests. Uh, for, she was the season finale guest at the end of my first season at Rockwood with this residency, um, and. Every one of the guests I've had, I, I have a special guest at each one of these shows, and we play each other's songs in the middle of the set, and it's a chance for um, my audience to sort of meet um, maybe another artist in the New York City scene that they wouldn't normally have, uh, have met, you know, artistically and otherwise. Um, and there, every one of those collaborations at these shows has been, has been really special. Um, Julia has just, our collaboration has turned into a, a great friendship, and she's a powerhouse singer and her affinity for Bond movies and uh, Ennio Morricone and stuff like that has made us fast friends. So um, we're going to have a lot of fun on this tour together. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love it when um, artists support one another, even in competitive markets like L.A. And, and, and when I hear stories yeah. like that, it just makes me feel good all over. Yeah, well, I've, well, I've, had, a, I've had a really – it's been one of the really special parts of my musical life these last couple of years. This, this residency has really – fostered um, so much, um, so many amazing musical opportunities for me. Um, and so many of those opportunities have been these kinds of collaborations. Uh, the West Coast tour uh, that I just did was uh, alongside an, a, another artist and a great friend of mine, David Poe. He's a great songwriter. So David and I did that tour together. Um, I did the month-long tour in Germany with Yanata, uh, another great artist. And right. now I'll be doing this run with Julia. So it's, it's really fun you know, you're right. It's it's a competitive artistic world, but it doesn't it doesn't have to be. It can be competition in a healthy way, where you're you're kind of sharpening each other, um, or or uh, you know th th that kind of artistic friction actually can make you sharper and better at what you do. And I, I know I learn a lot from the people I collaborate with, so um, it, it can be really special that way. Well, I've seen you on stage with both Janica and David Poe, and you guys are pretty sharp. So, <laughs> well, thanks. And yeah. I hope I, and I hope I get the opportunity to to see you and and uh, Julia on stage. Well, I wanted to ask you something. Um, mm -hmm. I know that 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 you're very heavily involved in the movement to try to see to it that that artists get paid fairly for their work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I noticed that all the concerts in England are listed on your tour page on Facebook as free with an RSVP. Um, how right. does that work? Well, um, it wouldn't be my first choice, but the, um, what I'm, you know, I think the operative word in the sentence I just used is choice. Okay. So when people hear that artists are giving their work away, um, or they're doing a free concert, keep in mind that that's because an artist has has decided to do that, all right? So I would love to be charging money for these shows, um, but what I really want at this particular um, junk, you know, juncture in, uh, in my burgeoning career in England um, uh, is, to, is to get people in who are going to see a great bill of Julia and Charlotte and myself 
and who hopefully fall in love with the music that they're hearing and that they'll come back. So this is one of those cases, um, sometimes when I'm on Capitol Hill and I'm talking about artist rights and people ask, well, don't you ever you know, give a CD away or don't you ever do a free concert? And I say, I do, I do all the time. And although that, in a perfect world that wouldn't necessarily be my choice, you know, again, it's about my choice. And what all of the artist rights arguments really boil down to is when artists aren't given that choice, when our work is taken from us, either through piracy or through you know, corporate oligarchies who are making billions of dollars off of our music without our permission. Um, in the case of American radio, of course, and some people still don't know this, that artists don't get paid for their work on the radio and never have in 90 years, which means that Aretha Franklin never got one penny for R-E-S-P-E-C-T being on American radio. She's never been paid for that. So that's oh. a case where radio, for example, can play your work without your permission and not pay you. That's not right. If I decide no. to do a benefit, in fact, last night here in New York City at my show, Tracy Bonham, the great Tracy Bonham, was my guest right. at that show. Oh. And uh, in the middle of the show, I also uh, did a tribute to the United Women's Firefighters of New York City. There are, just bear with me, it's a little tangent, but there are 11,000 firefighters in New York City, and only 67 of them are women. And they're Whoa. trying to raise money to train more women who can take the test. So we raised money for them. Again, that's a benefit concert, essentially, where I'm trying to raise money for somebody else. My choice. So it comes down to choice. Um, in a perfect world, I would love to be charging for these shows and have them sell out and, and everybody makes a lot of money and has a great time. But at this point, I'm also humble enough to say, you know what, it's really only my second tour ever in England. I'd rather people feel like they could take an artistic chance and see someone maybe they're just beginning to get familiar with, get in the door, and then we have a great night, and maybe that's down the, you know, down the road. So okay. the choice aspect of it, I think, is really at, at, at the forefront of the of the dynamic, if that makes, makes sense. Makes good sense, okay? You made a choice that this is a marketing cost, and that makes very good sense. Right. Well, since, since we're talking about your music, why don't we play a little of it, all right? Oh, great. I want to play a little of uh, I Can Hear You Say. Particularly the lyric, I can hear you say, I was troubled. Uh, are, are you troubled? <laughs> well, that's, you know, I, the, there's, that's sort of a funny song. It sounds like an angry and mean song, but there's kind of a wry humor to it, at least for me, because it may take a couple listens to the song to figure out that everything I'm saying is in the song, all the nasty things I'm saying in the song are actually things that I can hear someone else saying about me. 
so it's sort of like uh, <laughs> the the onus is actually on me. Um, so it's it's sort of one of those uh, ironic and uh, you know wink and a nod kind of songs. You know, I, I figured that out, which is why I asked I asked yeah. you about uh, are you trouble or not? Because right, right, right. Yeah. Sure. I don't yeah, think I, I am, but I think some other people might think I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I think that song illustrates um, something, that you have a way of creating a kind of cinematic music. That song and several of your other songs remind me of a memory, not necessarily my memory, mm-hmm. but a memory of kind of a gray day in the city. Is, mm-hmm. is that how you feel when you write them? Is that your intention? That's an interesting question. You know, I think it's a little different with each song. What, what, I, w- what I will say is this. Um, Diamonds in the Dark, my most recent record, and all of the new songs that I've now been writing this past year, they, I think something happened with Diamonds in the Dark um, and the songs on it, uh, including I Can Hear You Say. Um, my relationship to my own songwriting really changed. I think that the songs on my records before Diamonds in the Dark, um, in some ways, I think I was a songwriter where, for whom you kind of needed a decoder ring to be able to understand what my songs were about. And that was something I wanted, you know? If we put this in, like, Beatles context, you know, there are some Beatles songs you need a decoder ring for. What is I Am the Walrus really about? What is Strawberry Fields about? Those are great (laughs) songs, but the the song really challenges you to try to figure out what it's about. Then there are other Beatles songs that right on first listen, you you understand um, what they're about and, and... and how they're reaching into you to make you feel something, hopefully. You know? mm-hmm. um, and I've become much more interested in the latter as a songwriter recently. So I think the songs on Diamonds in the Dark really are a turning point for me as a songwriter, and it's, one, it's a turning point towards a direction I'm really enjoying, where I feel that each of my songs, um, when I sing them now, no matter how many hundreds of times I've, sang, uh, I've sung them for an audience, I remember, I have a memory, just like you're saying. I have a memory of that song, where that song came out of emotionally. And I can get right back to that and then hopefully communicate that to an audience. So the songs are much more personal, but they're, they're much more visceral at the same time. I know what they're about, and so I can communicate it to you, I think, more clearly. And I think my earlier work, I was just more interested in the decoder ring approach, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you managed to... to um communicate your memories to me quite nicely. Let me remind our listeners that we are talking with Blake Morgan about his music, his tour, uh, and a few other things, his impending trip to England. Um, This is a pre-recorded interview, so don't call in, but if you're listening to the Artist Echoes Network in London, he will be playing in your town in London December 4th at the 100-year-old Macbeth out in Hoxton. So uh, put that on your calendar. Um, now, you were, you were recently involved in a video shoot for the, the Guthrie Sessions, um, which yeah. is a series started by the, the widow of Woody Guthrie, who died of a Huntington's disease when he was only 55. Right. Can you tell us about the series and how you got involved in it? Yeah, you know, it, it's such an honor to be a part of it. Um, the folks at the Huntington's Disease Society of America uh, approached me and said, um, would I be willing to, uh, to do this shoot of four songs um, in an intimate setting um, to help raise awareness for the HDSA and for Huntington's disease in general? Um, and, uh, and they made it clear that they're you know, working in partnership um, with, the Guthrie, with the Guthrie family. Uh, and I was just, I was so honored to be asked. And so, of course, I leapt at the, at the opportunity. Um, and we did the shoot 
Um, and this month in November, which is when we're taping this interview, um, uh, they're releasing one video uh, a week for uh, on each Monday in November. Um, and uh, I'm I'm just really proud. I'm proud of the performances um, in 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 the videos, but I'm I'm prouder still to stand with the uh, with the HDSA and with the Guthrie with the Guthrie family. I'm, it's a, it's just a real honor. Well, that 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 special performance of of yours, all those special performances that will re- be released uh, this month. Did you record them all in in a studio? Yep, we did a. It was it was in a, it was an in studio performance, um, multi camera shoot, just in a really intimate setting, um, really stripped down, and it 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 was really appropriate. I tried to pick songs that I thought would be uh, fitting, um, both for the subject matter and just for the setting. And um, uh, a, a director named Ray Maxwell, a really talented uh, young woman, um, did a phenomenal job in the shoot. Um, and I've I've only seen two of the videos that we've shot so far, and and was really taken aback about at how striking um, her direction was uh, in the videos. And um, and again, I, I'm I'm proud of the performances. It, it was a really, it was a really, it was a special uh, afternoon when we when we did that shoot. Well, you should be proud. I, I watched the first one, which is on your website, and uh, it was—it definitely was something to be proud of. And I'm sure all Thanks. the other ones are going to be equally yeah. as good. And they're going to be up what every Monday for in, in yep. uh, November. Every Monday in November, uh, and then they'll obviously the, you know they'll stay up um, from there. And uh, as each one goes up, I will put them uh, on my website uh, on the video tab at uh, blakemorgan.com. Okay. BlakeMorgan.com. I want everybody after the show today to go check out the uh, the videos and also the music there too. And speaking of the music, we need to play a little more music. Um, this is kind of an Great. interesting song. This is the best bad idea. <laughs> so far and gone from where we must have started. Directions wrong when they seem clear Now you belong With all the dearly departed To carry on And disappear On your way now Fast as speed allows On your way Diamonds in the Dark. It, it's uh, it's on the okay. same record as, as as I can hear you say. Um, it's it's uh, but it's it's really one of my favorites. And I, I, again, I think um, I think that's uh, it's kind of a funny 
it's kind of a funny song. There is some wordplay in it, and it's it's kind of a uh, it's it's about as uh, you know there's there's it's cheeky as, as I think they would say across <laughs> the pond. It's a cheeky song, <laughs> and, and it's kind of a break uh, from the the songs that evoke memories of gray days in the city. Mm-hmm. So it, sure. it it adds color. And I'm sorry I missed it on on I'm sure I when I went through the album I did see it just I just blanked there for a minute. Yeah. Um, I want to change the subject a bit, and I want to talk about your music company and also mm-hmm. about the state of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the ECR group, I, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is owned by the artists, and they also own their own songs and the various rights. Is that correct? That's, that's pretty close, yeah. So I, I founded and owned the company, um, but the, the central uh, elemental principle and tenet of the company um, was I didn't want to own a record label that owned people, that owned artists, right? So mm-hmm. the, the standard thing is you sign an artist and you own their work and you kind of own them for a period of time that you agree upon in a deal. I didn't want to do that um, having gotten out of my own um, big major label deal at the beginning of my career. Um, I didn't want to do to other people what I had felt had been done to me. So I wanted to start a company where we wouldn't sign artists, we would sign their work. So in other words, let's say you're an artist that I fall in love with, Patrick, and I want to sign you to the label. Well, what we do is we make a record, and then we sign the record to the label. But you own the record. So we may sign the, the record to the label for a period of time. Maybe it's two years or five years or seven years. But at the end of that term, we can either continue to work together, or you have the right to say, actually, I'm going to take my record. I'm going to go somewhere else. But most importantly, it's that if you want to work with other people, you're allowed to do that. If you were to jump ship and go to a different label for other work, you're also allowed to do that. And hmm. the, the, the irony is, um, although that has always been the policy of ECR Music Group, and a lot of people in the music world say, well, Blake, you're crazy, because what if you work with an artist and build their career over four and five years, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden they get to a certain level and they're swooped up by Sony or they're swooped up by Universal, and then you'll have done all the groundwork and then they'll reap the rewards. My answer to that is if an artist really feels that they have a better opportunity elsewhere, they should take it and they should be able to take it. I don't want to have someone on the label who doesn't want to be there. The irony is that's never happened. (laughs) So in all of the years that I've had the label, it's never happened where someone's jumped ship. They've fallen in love with the model um, to to, to such a degree that everyone's stayed um, and grown and prospered along with the label. I always want to build a label that would be in partnership with its artists. A lot of the artists work at the label, um, help, helping to build the label. So it's not owned by the artists. It's definitely owned by me. But it's mm-hmm. one of the ways that we employ our own artists in working on their own releases and a lot of times working on each other's releases. Wow. And when it comes to the songwriting part, it's very important to me that the label doesn't own the songs of any of the artists and songwriters and doesn't own the publishing. Um, and again, a lot of people in the music world think that's a crazy thing to 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 do, <laughs> but yeah. it doesn't matter to me. It's an existential issue. Um, I think that artists and songwriters need to own their own work. And our job as a label um, is to try to win an audience for that work and to say, I think there is an audience out in the world. If we hang this record out on the porch like a light, there are enough, there are enough moths in the world that will be attracted to it. So we just need to make, uh, we need to win that audience for the work that we believe in. Um, and that has always been the principle of the label, and it will always be the principle of the label, no matter what. Well, I, I, first of all, I very much appreciate that, and, and um, uh, I hope that the model spreads. And actually, 
It may have spread just a little bit. Uh, there is um, an agency um, uh, music management um, company here in L.A. that that does something similar, and one of their their um, their singers has gone on to win Grammys and fill stadiums, etc. And she stayed with them. So maybe oh, other people will be. Yeah, maybe other people will will do that. Um, now. This, as you said, the the artists also work within within the label and the company. So, sure, that they all promote and help one another. Is that how it works? Right. It's it's sort of like you know we're we're kind of like a musical black ops team, you know, or a Mission Impossible team, <laughs> right? So, and don't forget, I'm an artist signed to my own label. So, right. you know, the same rules apply to me as apply to every other artist. Um, but David Cloyd is another exceptional artist on our roster, and he is—he's my vice president of label operations. So he's—he's he's doing everything from work on our website to promotional work to shepherding releases through distribution channels. Um, you know, every one of our artists at one point or another has rolled up their sleeves and helped work at the label um, to foster uh, our releases and 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 make sure that they're successful. What's so powerful about that? for me, is not just the all-for-one and one-for-all environment that it builds. It's that artists then learn what is happening to release uh, a record, their Uh own and others. And Uh that's an empowering empowering thing. You know, when I was first getting started, um, the label I was signed to, this is well before I ever founded ECR, you know, they didn't really want me to know how the sausages were getting made. They didn't want me to know what the radio promotion plan was or what the marketing plan was. And I sat in a marketing meeting once um, for, my, for my, my first record when it was released, and they didn't want me in the meeting, but I said, I want to be in the marketing meeting of my own record, please. You know? And yeah. the market, this is actually what happened in the meeting. Uh, one of, they started the meeting around a big conference table, and I was sort of standing in the corner. And one of the sort of, uh, um, not an intern, but maybe one of the, 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 the less powerful sort of uh, tangential people in the marketing department said, okay, well, let's, let's start the meeting. Uh, we've got good news. Blake has debuted at number eight on the Billboard Heat Seeker chart. And everyone went, wow. And I thought to myself, wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's, what, this is great news. And over the din of everyone congratulating themselves, the head of marketing said, okay, wait, quiet down, everybody. Um, okay, this is fantastic news. Um, he's debuted at number eight. Does anyone know how many people are ahead of him? <laughs> that's a true story okay and oh. everyone was dumbfounded and i actually God. spoke up from the corner of the room and i said hey man you know i think if i'm number eight there's a good chance that there are seven people ahead of me <laughs> and that was the beginning of me really demanding that i was in those meetings because i didn't oh. trust the people who were whose job God. it was to oh. get my music out into the world so when i started producing other artists um, recording and producing other artists. You know, one of the reasons I founded the record label is I, I frankly just didn't want to spend a year making a record with an artist I really believed in and then find myself in a position where I had to hand that record over to somebody else who was then going to mess it up. Right. I wanted to make sure that... Well, we, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to be accountable for it and say, well, look, if, if this goes wrong, then, then it's on us. It's not on somebody else. Um, oh so that, that's, that's really where the spirit of the... Story of the label came from. And yeah, it's, well, it's a, it's a great story when it's not happening to you, but, yeah, <laughs> but right, exactly. you know, okay. but, uh, but it was, it was, and it, you know, it, it's a very telling story. So that's why I like the artists to, to work 
at the label on their own releases, but, but with each other's releases as well, because, because they see, again, how the sausages are getting made. They see what's going on, and it's transparent, and also it's, it's a teaching environment. So people learn marketing strategies or promotional sure. strategies. They, they learn those things, and it, it's, it's empowering for everybody involved. And, and also they, they know that you can count. Okay. Yes, that's true. At least to eight. <laughs> well, I can count too, and what I'm counting is we have just about four minutes left, so I, I want to play a little more music here, and, and uh, I think this is sort of apropos. This is Haunt Me. are you using in that to create the mood? Is there, is there a synth in there? Or are you doing it all on an electric guitar? Yeah, there's actually some lap steel and there's some, yeah, there's some electronic elements that, that, I, that I bring in with my, with my trusty microcorg. And uh, uh, I, I like that. I like that dreamy sequence a lot. And there's some, there's some vocal stuff actually going on that, that sort of sounds keyboard-like, but it's actually vocals. It's layered vocals. So, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Diamonds in the Dark, and we got a minute, and I really do want to play just a little bit of a song from Diamonds in the Dark. This is a Don't, let, don't Want to Let You Go. Great. <laughs> That's your most recent album, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. And as uh, the words say, I don't want to let you go, but I am afraid I do have to let you go, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, it's been, as usual, like it has been such a pleasure talking with you, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure you must be very busy getting ready to take off for Europe, so I, we appreciate it. Uh, the, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, anytime, Patrick. It's, a, it's, it's an honor and a, and a joy to be with you. Well, before we leave, uh, let's tell people where they can uh, best get your music and also how they can follow you and your tour. 
Sure. Well, um, probably the easiest way is uh, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I'm at the Blake Morgan, T-H-E, Blake Morgan, at, at uh, each of those platforms. And uh, all the tour information is up on all of them. Um, and, of course, you can go to BlakeMorgan.com, and that will take you anywhere you want to go as well. Okay, all right. BlakeMorgan.com is a good place to start there. All right, we're going to uh, have to say goodbye now, but uh, as we do, I'm going to play a little bit more of Don't Want to Let You Go. And that was our conversation last week with the, the great Blake Morgan. And uh, if you are listening in England, again, check out his website, his Twitter feed uh, for the venue near you where you can actually see him live. Now, right now, we're going to take a quick break to introduce you to our broadcast partner, World Arts, and then Shelley Pikin will join us. Don't go away. This is going to be lots and lots of fun. World Arts brings the entire music world together on one global stage. We give artists the tools to sell and license their music, interact with industry pros, and play live to a whole new audience. Wherever they are on their journey, we want artists to get paid for what they create. At World Arts, fans can discover new songs, get exclusive rewards, and crowdfund projects for artists. Brands can offer opportunities for artists to create original content that fans can instantly vote on and share. World Arts is the global music platform where we can all rise above the noise. Take your career to the next level. Discover new artists. At World Arts, it's all about the music. And it is all about the music, as we are all about the music, and we are members of World Arts, and you should be too. It's free. Just go right to worldarts.com and join up. You know, there's only one songwriter who could write in her book, I learned very quickly how to put the sexy in peanut butter and the pep in Dr. Pepper, and then go on to get her second Grammy nomination for that very book. She is Shelly Pikin, and I am honored and a bit intimidated to talk with her. Shelly was just nominated for a Grammy in the spoken word category for her book, Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, which, incidentally, anyone who loves music needs to read. Shelly is best known for her writing or co-writing hits like What a Girl Wants and Come On Over Baby by Christina Aguilera, Bitch by Meredith Brooks, and Almost Doesn't Count by Brandy. She's also written with Britney Spears, Celine Dion, Reba McIntyre, NSYNC, Ed Sheeran, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, and many, many more. Plus, she's a blogger, a champion for the rights of artists to get paid for the work, and a mom. Welcome to Music Friday Live, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. I believe you're intimidated, though, Patrick. <laughs> I'm intimidated because you're such a good writer. <laughs> nah. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for taking the time. Uh, Shelly, this is a music show, and, and I want to play some of the songs you have written and then dig into how they came to be. But I really want to talk about your book. Um, you say in the chapter about what makes a hit song that if there is any secret sauce, it's a universal sentiment set in a unique frame. Now, I think you've done this in Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. The unique frame is all the wonderful and not-so-wonderful personal experiences you write about. But I wonder, how would you describe the book's universal experience? 
Well, you know, I think that there are so many wonderful books on songwriting out there that tell you how to do it or that are dedicated to how to do it. And I would encourage a lot of uh, of aspiring songwriters to read those. This really isn't that kind of a book, and that's not what I set out to do. I set out to take readers on my adventures and the ups and downs I had experienced over the years. Uh, I, I think that most of the book talks about the songs that I wrote that maybe didn't make it or didn't come to fruition the way I had planned when I wrote them, and how those experiences and those rehearsals, as I call them, I don't like to think about them as failures, really taught me as much about the business and about life as the few songs that um, made it to the airwaves. And I think that a lot of, um, I think people would be able to relate to that in a different way than they would when they read a a how-to book. Well, you know, I, I, I understand that, uh, and that's what happened to me. And, and there were lines in the book that particularly resonated with me. One of them, and, and not the sexy peanut butter line, <laughs> is that, <laughs> which is a great line, that sort of set the tone for me was where you referred to songwriting as it wasn't about the answer, it was about trying to find it. Yeah. Now, the context was your relationship to Jake, but the words hit home for me. Um, has that changed? Is it still about finding the answer, or do the songs do the songs still write themselves as part of finding that answer? I hope it's always about finding the answer. I can't imagine what life would be like and what songwriting would be like um, if we knew what the answer was. And I think that each three-minute song is just a very short little snapshot about a moment in somebody's life. Um, For me, songwriting is always about sitting down and not having an answer and and exploring um, my way to it. It doesn't mean that when I'm done with a song, I'm going to know what the answer was. But the the wondering, I think, is a really beautiful state to be in and a very creative way to to search. Well, it seems to work. Um, (laughs) And something else that, that I think seems to work is um, you also you also tell people don't be afraid to suck and you worked with many stars on creating songs that can you recall an incidence of working with a star in which your lack of failure fear overcame theirs and a successful song emerged um gosh i think you know maybe that happened with with Bitch and Meredith Brooks, where, you know, the the idea came to me driving in my car one night, and not that I thought it was a quote-unquote sucky idea, but I thought it was a risky idea, and I was almost a little fra- afraid to put it out there. Um, but the fact, I think, that I did, and she happened to be Meredith, who could definitely relate to the idea and the perspective at which I came, um, it worked. I mean, on other occasions, it might not have. With another artist, it might not have. Uh, You could be sitting in the room co-writing and dare to suck and have somebody laugh at you. You know, don't write with them again, but don't stop daring to do that. Um, You know, Julia Michaels, who had a really successful song this year, an album, but her, her single was Issues, 
and um, she she was also nominated for uh, Best New Artist. She and I were songwriting, um, well, not partners, but we did some songwriting together before she ever even dreamed of being an artist. In fact, she didn't even want to be. She just wanted to write songs, and she often goes out there now and has interviews in which she quotes me on that, and that is dear to me that she will say in her interviews, you know, I learned from Shelley that that's a really important thing to do, that if we don't dare to suck or dare to put something out there that is um, outrageous in some way, our material and our ideas are always going to be safe, and they might border on, on maybe boring. So I would rather have something out there that's risky than have something be beige and be overlooked. Well, you wrote, um, uh, you've written many, many songs, and like I said, this is a music program, and although we don't have a lot of time, I do want to play some of them. And one of them I really want to play is the one you just mentioned, that one with okay. uh, Meredith. This is Bitch. Go right ahead. said the book was nominated for a Grammy in the spoken word category, which includes right. audio books. Um, right. You describe your, your reaction to your first Grammy in, in the book as going in the hall and jumping up and down on a pogo stick. Is, is that what well, you Well, that was my time? number one record. Oh, okay. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So how did you respond to the news of a Grammy this time? You know, well, this time, well, that time I was, I had a new baby. And I didn't even, it it was in the newspapers. There was no internet. You couldn't go online to find out. And Meredith called me, and I probably went jumping up and down to the driveway to pick up my newspaper, which doesn't even, actually, we get a newspaper, but for most people, it didn't exist. This time, I just, I so didn't have my hopes up. Not that I had them up then either, but I really worked hard to get this one on social media. I I talked a lot about what the book was about and why I thought it was worthy. Um, And then I just pretended to forget about it. But the night before, I absolutely couldn't. And I took an Ambien, and then I just slept through the announcements. (laughs) And people had to call me and text me, and I was woken up by my phone buzzing. It was a good reason to be woken up. Well, it certainly is. Now, 
Where would people go to get your book? What's the best They place? could get my book on Amazon. Um, they could get my book on Audible, especially the spoken word one would be on Audible. And I'm happy to say that my father-in-law just texted me from New York City on the Upper West Side where he walked past the bookstore, and it was right there in the window. So Yay. maybe they got the, um, they got the memo Yay. that it was nominated, and, and it will be paid more attention to in, in your brick-and-mortar bookstores. Okay. Well, we are out of time, and uh, I want to make sure that we do have uh, enough time to tell people uh, uh, all about, uh, repeat what you just said, that they can go to Amazon, audiobooks, uh, buy it for Kindle, hard, or a hard copy. It's on everything, bookstore. yeah. Yes, that's always the best. And I want to thank you very much for being with us. My and pleasure. Also, oh, such a great book. I'm uh, I, I'm giving I'm giving out as Christmas presents to my friend in the music industry. So it's thank you. It's perfectly in a stocking. <laughs> and I can I just um, yes yes was online was on the phone trying to call in a question and didn't have time to do that. You can yeah. message me on Facebook. I'm happy to chat. It's on okay. um, Facebook.com/slash Serial Songwriter. Okay. All right. You've been. You've been listening to Music Friday Live. Uh, be here next Friday when we talk to Mice and Karan and the band Walla. Check out our Twitter stream, our Instagram, and our Facebook feeds, and we'll update you on the guests. While we, uh, before we leave, I want to play a little bit of What a Girl Wants. Yep, now I'll call you back for something.